Hello, we're looking at the parable of the shrewd manager. It's in Luke chapter 16 and we've come to the last in a little part of our series looking at the kingdom displayed. Uh, overall it's obviously the, the parables of the kingdom and this is the last in this section of showing us what life is like for those who are in the kingdom of heaven. So I'm going to ask Mandy to read the Bible to us. Thank you. The reading is Luke 16 and the first 15 verses. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What should I do now? My master is taking away my job, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So, he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? Three thousand litres of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly and make it fifteen hundred. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? Thirty tons of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it twenty-four. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. The Shrewd Manager now think of some of the famous and audacious crimes in history. In 1911, Vincenzo Perugia was a handyman hired by the Louvre in Paris to make glass cases for some of its treasures. He hid in a cupboard overnight, slipped out later and took the Mona Lisa under his coat and was let out, let out the door by an unsuspecting plumber. It took 24 hours until anyone realised the painting was missing. The police took over two years to locate the painting. How audacious! But it was wrong. In 1963, £2.6 million was stolen from a Royal Mail train in Buckinghamshire. It was one of the most famous robberies ever in Britain. It was planned meticulously over many months and carried out by a gang of 16. They altered the signals on the train tracks, forcing the train to stop and then seized a number of sacks from the high-value packages carriage. 
How clever, how ingenious, but it was wrong. They were wrong, but we can still see the audacity, the cleverness and the ingenuity these criminals showed in doing wrong, stealing the Mona Lisa and stealing the money from the train. And every day, entrepreneurs, designers, engineers, craftsmen and women, bankers and bakers, the military and school teachers all show shrewdness and audacity and applied wisdom in their craft, trade or possession. And we can admire their canny cleverness and problem solving. People all around the world, criminals and people just doing their legitimate jobs, put great effort into stealing money or making money in a good way or solving problems and achieving great projects. But in this parable, the, the main point that Jesus is making is that his people should use the resources they have with a similar audacity, with a, a similar creativity, with intrepid boldness for the cause of the kingdom of heaven. Verse 1, Jesus told his disciples, notice that, now later we will see that others were listening in, but the Lord makes a point of teaching those who are his apprentices. And it's a parable about a business manager. His boss tells him, prepare your accounts. Again, verse 1, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. So he sat. But he needs to give an account. He needs to show an inventory, uh, an audit of his books. And so he prepares for unemployment. Verse 3. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So, pausing there, he's thinking of his future. And he realises that he needs to make reliable friends. Verse 5. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it 800. So, these debtors to the firm were going to be pleased with the manager, obviously, and they, they were then more likely going to be in a position and, and wanting to help him when he himself was in between jobs, as we say. And there was also an unexpected consequence. Cash flow has been injected into the business. The business has discounted the debts, but it's kept customers. It's enabled further investment instead of waiting around for the whole sums to come in. If the debtors were struggling, that may take some time. They may even default on their debts. But now the business business has got more product to sell. Cash flow is the key. Verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. And then the Lord's comment on that is, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Now the wasteful manager has in effect rescued the business to a degree and is now showing the initiative that he should have, should have been showing earlier on. And we find he was praised by the boss. Verse 8 again. 
The master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted astutely. For the sons of this age are more astute than the sons of light in dealing with their own people. So the cleverness of the manager in doing something underhand is praised, not by the Lord, but by the boss in the story. Now we need to remember that this is a parable. It's not direct teaching, so it's not line by line, but it's what is the main point that we need to focus on? The disciples of Jesus need to be as clever and astute in doing the right things. Generally speaking, the people of the world put more effort and shrewdness into their business than Christians do into spreading the gospel. And the Lord is telling us not, not to be lazy or wasteful with resources, with uh, wealth or uh, opportunities. He's not commending dodgy dealing in business. But the main point of the parable is that he's teaching us to act shrewdly and astutely, to invest, to gain friends who will welcome us into heaven. Now just imagine living a life, sowing the gospel, spending your resources and energy with a prime focus of growing the kingdom of God, supporting mission, going on mission maybe, being creative and resourceful and industrious. And you may end life without a penny to your name, without any great status in life, but then you die and enter heaven. And all along the golden street you find people that you may have never met on earth, but they come up to you and welcome you. They hug and shake your hand and they tell you of how your use of money, how your use of time, how your efforts to reach them, your example of love, your leaving that tract, your sending that email or that booklet, your support of that lonely missionary, all this led to this person, that family, that tribe, that former atheist, to be there in paradise. And they all thank you and praise God for your investment in the kingdom of heaven. Warren Wisby wrote this, The children of this world are experts at seizing opportunities for making money and friends and getting ahead. God's people should take heed and be just as wise when it comes to managing the spiritual affairs of life. Now the manager in the parable had been a waster, but he wasted a percentage more in discounting the debts, but he did it in a fix and to gain an advantage in the future. And... In the process, the business was helped. The cash flow was helped. Now, the parable is not for us to follow literally in our work. This was not his money to do this with. It was not above board. The Lord is not commending dodgy behaviour. But it was the shrewd and astute use of the resources he had control of in the fix he was in that is commended in the parable. Now, our resources are all God's anyway. And he by the teaching of our Lord, is encouraging us to use them. Not to be wasteful, not to be devious, but to employ the same level of astuteness, the same kind of smartness, imagination, investment, and venturesome attitude to using the resources that God trusts us with to grow the kingdom of heaven. Verse 9. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. We need to have an attitude that is prepared to venture our capital for the sake of the gospel. As Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament says, chapter 11, verse 1, Ship your grain across the sea. After many days you may receive a return. Or in the older English, cast your bread upon the waters. And in this parable, 
and in the teaching that Jesus gives, we see there's a need to prepare for future service. There's a principle of growing in trustworthiness, learning to handle a little and then you'll be given more next time, learning to be faithful with current responsibilities and then you'll be entrusted with more responsibility. Look at verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? To be considered trustworthy is wonderful, isn't it? But it needs to be built up from little to greater, from small to bigger. From the way that we handle material things, for instance, to spiritual things, from taking care of someone else's property to being granted our very own responsibility. To be considered trustworthy is something that needs to be earned. Now, we don't burden our children with a whole year's worth of pocket money, do we? Not, not all at once. We teach them to look after the pennies and get used to handling those, and then the pounds will take care of themselves. We teach our young people to learn to do a good job in the home whilst you're growing up, helping in the garden, doing the dishes, tidying up. And those skills and those responsibilities that you've carried out will shape your character and prepare you for your own home one day and greater responsibilities as an adult. So there's a principle of, of learning to be responsible with small things and then grant, granted greater opportunities and greater responsibilities. Now all that we do as a Christian is useful. Nothing is wasted if we learn from it. And as we are seen to be trustworthy, then we will grow to be capable and trusted enough for bigger responsibilities. So in the context of the parable, what, what do you have? What opportunities do you have to serve God, to invest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, whether it, at the moment it's small or whether it's medium-sized or a great responsibility, be industrious, be imaginative, be canny, and do what you can faithfully. Put your money to work for the kingdom. Use your resources. Don't waste them. Instead, do what the manager should have done in the first place. Act shrewdly and astutely to invest your life to gain friends who will welcome you into heaven. Now, if you don't invest material things to spread the gospel, if you don't see money, your energy, your talents as tools to build the kingdom of heaven, what will happen is that they will stop being tools and become your master. Now, money is important, and the Lord Jesus didn't shy away from talking about money. Money is how we buy and sell our labor, energy and talents, and the things that, that we can make. Money sums up the material. Now, Jesus is clearly not teaching us to despise material things. Money is not sinful or the root of all evil. The love of money is, and there's a difference. Earning money, having resources, developing our skills and education, progressing in our careers if we can. Food and drink, all of it is good and none of it is evil in itself. They are God's good gifts, obviously all things in moderation. <laughs> but material stuff itself is not sinful, according to God, according to the Lord Jesus. The problem is what 
where it does become a sinful thing is when it is when it becomes an end in itself whereby it masters us verse 13 the lord says no one can serve two masters either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve both god and money now if we are not seeing the kingdom of heaven as our priority if we are not investing material things into the work of the gospel which is not just giving away our, our money to mission if we're not venturing investments into the kingdom of heaven then it's so easy for for money to replace God on the throne of our hearts in Matthew 6 verse 33 the Lord says but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things all the things that we need will be provided for you so all our lives Yes, money, but everything else, all we do needs to be focused on the goal of building the kingdom, investing in the kingdom, so that one day we will be welcomed into heaven by friends who we had some part in introducing to Jesus. We do need to stop the false division between what we do as Christians uh, on Sundays or when we meet uh, and other Christian activities. We need to stop the false division between what we do in that sense and what we do in our job or in our hobbies and so on. What we need to do is to see that see us as having one unified Christ-centered life where all we do is focused ultimately on investing in the kingdom of heaven. As Ephesians 5 verse 15 says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. Warren Wisby wrote this, that time is eternity, minted into precious minutes and handed to us to use, either wisely or carelessly. The main lesson of this narrative is that the steward, or the manager, as dishonest as he was, used his opportunity wisely and prepared for the future. The Apostle Peter wrote in his first letter, chapter 4, verse 10, each of us should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. In the kingdom of heaven, we need to use wealth wisely. Don't let it master you. Make it your tool for God's glory. Make all that you are useful in the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't mean that we have to all be missionaries. It doesn't mean we have to all be in full-time Christian service. We can live our lives wisely investing in the kingdom of heaven right where we are in our workplaces in our homes as parents as children growing up as students working in the factory the office or wherever it might be now the pharisees were listening into what jesus was teaching but they scoffed look at verse 14 the pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at jesus he said to them you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Now the, the Pharisees claimed to love God and wanted to carry on loving money as well as appearing to love God. But that doesn't work. They're people who justify themselves in the eyes of others. They're always wanting other people to think well of them. And as long as they can put forward a good image, they, they are content to carry on their hypocrisy appearing to people that God was their priority, but really they, they love money. 
Now, many Pharisees were businessmen of some sort. We think of one example, the former Pharisee, the Apostle Paul himself, who was a tent maker by trade. So many Pharisees were people who made money in business, middle class, fairly wealthy men. Now, what is really in their hearts is not so important to them, as Jesus points out, as long as people think well of them. But the Christian disciple, the one who is in the kingdom of heaven, is all about being right in heart before God. That is number one, to be right in heart before God, not pleasing others for the sake of it. And being genuine and true to God and to be focused on the great cause of the kingdom of heaven is what the Christian disciple should be all about. So, drawing things to a conclusion. Don't love money. Love God and use money to live your whole life as an investment in the kingdom of heaven. Now, we do need to give money to mission, for example, but even more, invest your whole life in mission. Make your life count for the kingdom. In all your choices, in all that you do, think of proclaiming and and progressing the work of the kingdom of heaven, the news about Jesus. Make that the kind of guide for all, the guiding principle of all your choices. Invest your whole life in mission. Make your life count for the kingdom. Life is like a coin. We've got one. We can only spend it once. We can spend it any way we like. But once we've spent it, it's spent. Now, our goal is not money, but we are, according to the Lord's teaching, to use all that we are, including our money, to be a living investment in doing God's will, building his kingdom. And we need to be as shrewd, as inventive, and as audacious as many non-Christian people are in their businesses and projects. Now, we know that all these things will come to an end one day, but our investments in the kingdom will never fail, and the results are eternal. Now, let's be practical. Maybe you're in the older generation and you're struggling with the aches and pains of old age and coming to terms with the fact that you can't do what you used to do. And maybe in some ways looking back and wishing that you had invested more in the kingdom of heaven. What have you got to invest? Well, there's your wisdom from life's experiences. There's the example that you can set to younger people. There's the knowledge that you've gained over the years. There's those words of encouragement that you can give to those who are younger. And we maybe can't do as much, but we can do what we can smart and with wisdom that we've gained over the years. And we can show an example of growing old graciously, which is a very precious thing and a very beautiful thing to see. And maybe we have other gifts and talents that we can still use in our retirement years to invest in the kingdom of heaven. And, of course, as Christians, we're never out of a job. We will never be unemployed. There's always a work for Jesus that none but you can do. Be encouraged to think, how can I use my life, my experience, the wisdom I've learned over the years, to invest in the kingdom of heaven? Maybe we are younger, maybe middle-aged, maybe with family, work responsibilities and pressures 
the tiredness at the end of each day with going out to work and the stress and the strain on our minds and bodies what have we got to give well don't forget that we invest in the kingdom of heaven uh, as well as in our giving of our, of our money uh, as and when we can we also invest in the way that we live that we can be that salt and light in our community in our workplace in in our home being parents is is, is a mission field being parents is investing in the kingdom of heaven we pray for our children and we, we entrust them into the Lord's hands and we seek to bless them with our example and our teaching and we can invest our lives in our families and in our relationships as husbands and wives to invest our love in in our families and to our spouses and Lord and we can uh, honor God through through that we have much to give uh, investing our lives in this way so even though you might be busy stressed um, it, it's not easy is it but God has a work for you to do as well and then maybe we're younger maybe we're students maybe our future is ahead and we've got great aspirations and we maybe would long to be in this career or that career and we've got great goals and aims in our lives well let's remember that our greatest goal is to serve God and to invest in the kingdom of heaven so don't merely think of what can I achieve what, what money can I earn if I follow this path of education and get that career don't think in those terms simply it is good to aspire to to being educated and to be well employable <laughs> but let's also think how can I use my life invest my life in serving God in publishing the gospel ab abroad in sharing the good news of Jesus in being salt and light salt and light in my particular community how can I use my careers my my skills in the future it's great in our church isn't it how we've got a, a, a lovely couple who plan to use their medical skills in in mission and they've invested that their lives to to serve God and trained for many years and now they're seeking to use their skills and abilities uh, in in mission some so hopefully someday in the future so aspire to great things yes but keep in mind the kingdom of heaven shall we pray Heavenly Father we pray for each other as we think about how to invest in the kingdom of heaven Lord we think about the money that we have Lord and maybe we don't have much money spare but Lord help us to invest in giving in mission Lord we may not have much money to give but we all have our energies and our prayers and our, uh, opportunities to serve you in some way or other in the life of the local church here Lord help us to invest Lord time and energy help us to invest our love in the fellowship and in the service of the fellowship in being a witness in this in this world help us to invest in telling others help us to be keen to sow seeds of the gospel to think of giving out leaflets to people to people that we meet to finding inventive ways to share the gospel whether it's online or through through leaflets or writing letters or sending emails help us to be people who are willing to invest in the kingdom of heaven to sow the gospel seed 
Lord, help us not to compartmentalize our lives, what we do on certain days of the week, in certain meetings, versus the rest of it in the workplace, in the home. Help us to see our whole lives as for you and with a great priority and the great goal of your kingdom. And we thank you, Lord, for the great joy of seeing people in heaven. Lord, because we've had a part in either giving to mission or, or giving to the work of the local church and in being involved in evangelism in some way, whether on the front line or in the support roles, in our prayers for, for the gospel witness of our church and our church family. And Lord God, we thank you for the joy of one day being able to see people into heaven who will welcome us. And we will have that joy of knowing that we were part of their journey to you. So, Lord, we come to you with this challenging message of, of investment in, in your kingdom. And we ask, Lord, that you'd help us to work it out in our individual circumstances. But, Lord, help us to keep the principle and the priority of seeking first the kingdom of heaven. Lord, we pray for your help as we seek to put these things into practice. In Jesus' name. Amen.